And a lot of times we feel really frustrated and ashamed of ourselves because we can't just get over it. But that's not really possible. It's not a choice. If it was a choice, everyone would make it. Hey guys, welcome back to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. I'm your host, Jazzy, and today we are wrapping up the Domestic Violence Awareness Month series with an episode on healing after an abusive relationship. Yes, it is December and this series started in October, but a lot has been going on. I obviously told you guys my story, part of it at least, and there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So I took some time off to honestly rest. And obviously, as you'll hear in this episode, it's very important to prioritize self-care as you're healing. So with that being said, I'm really excited to finally share this episode. I'm speaking with Emmy Marie, who is a certified trauma-informed somatic coach who specializes in helping clients create thriving lives and relationships after trauma. As an abuse survivor herself, Emmy understands the devastation trauma can have on our lives and is committed to helping as many people as possible access their power and heal from trauma. Honestly, re-listening to this episode again has helped me, you know, given, like I said, it's been a very, very <laughs> tough several weeks. So um, yeah, I know this is going to help so many people. So let's go ahead and dive in. Hey, Emmy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining me for such an important discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Can you share a little bit about your personal journey and what led you to become a trauma recovery coach? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the work that I do is really connected to my personal story and life experience. Um, when I was a teenager in high school, I got into kind of like my first love type relationship that ended up being um, highly abusive. And it went on for three years, kind of getting escalatingly worse over the course of that time. Um, and I was really mm -hmm. just convinced that, you know, this was the guy I loved and we were meant to be together and there really didn't feel like there was any way out for me. Um, so that went on and it was, you know, if you look up kind of narcissistic abusive relationship, that's typically what will, you know, give you a summary of what that looks like if people want to understand that better, but just various types of lots of emotional, verbal, sexual, occasionally physical abuse. Um, and at the same time I was trying to pretend it wasn't happening. So I was trying to project mm -hmm. an image to everyone around me that I was fine and we were in a happy relationship and all was well. So I kind of was basically living this double life where, you know, my days were filled with terror and pain. Um, but I didn't really let anyone see that because it didn't feel safe to do so. Mm -hmm. So that went on for three years, like I mentioned, and then I left that relationship, um, kind of like a miracle moment, got out of it. And then, uh, soon later went to college and didn't really do any healing work whatsoever. Um, I just kind of thought the idea was to just get over it and move on. Um, trying to like take advice from people who, or just, you know, magazines, books, whatever that, um, was geared toward just moving on from a normal, like heartbreak maybe. So mm -hmm. I didn't really understand, you know, how traumatic this was going to be. Um, I thought it was over, so then I should just get over it. So I went to college and just basically started kind of repeating this pattern where, um, I'm looking for guys who are very emotionally unavailable. Um, you know, I, 
I'm, I don't have any self-worth whatsoever to expect being treated well by someone and just like having a really anxious attachment style, looking for someone else to complete me. Uh, ended up in another relationship at the end of my freshman year of college that lasted for two years. And while it wasn't nearly as bad as the one before, it was still very um, dysfunctional and I was certainly not happy in it. And so I didn't really understand I deserved better and really every problem that came up, I would just blame on myself. And so after that, the also ended in kind of an explosive ending, um, I realized, you know, I have to stop doing this. Like I need to change how I am in relationships. It was like a big wake up call. And then at the same time, my complex PTSD symptoms started getting really bad because I was finally not like immersed in the dynamic that I needed to like manage. So I was kind of in a safer environment and like relational space. Mm -hmm. And so all of these symptoms of trauma started emerging, um, which made me kind of forced to get therapy uh, because I, it was hard to function. So I finally went to therapy. This is now over three, almost four years after the first relationship ended. And that kind of began my healing journey, which now has been going on for, you know, seven years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I've done a lot of work. I spent a lot of time focusing on myself and feeling safe in my body and really learning everything I could about trauma because it was fascinating to me. And obviously I was trying to help myself. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years into that process, I got the feeling that, you know, I, I can support other people in some capacity. Like I I got to a point where I felt safe enough in my body and able to, you know, regulate myself enough that helping other people was always calling for me, but now it felt more possible. Um, And so my Instagram account originally was just me uh, creating content, kind of like a journal that I just shared on there because it was a nice way to contain it. And then I started kind of picking up traction and I, um, you know, the dominoes kind of fell and I realized like coaching was a field that could allow me to help folks um, with my experience and with my knowledge. So I got some certifications in trauma-informed coaching and later some other ones throughout Mm -hmm. the past years. But yeah, I've been doing this full-time now for over three years, um, supporting other survivors on their quest to thrive after traumatic experiences. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I feel like a lot of survivors can relate to what you've said. Pretty much everything you said, you know, starting with living a double <laughs> yeah. life, you know, where these things are happening right. to you behind the scenes and you're not letting other people see it because I definitely did that too. And it's really hard yeah. to to kind of hide that. So I love that you kind of used your own story and testimony to start helping other people. And it's crazy how social media these days connects us, you know, with people all over the world yeah. in similar situations. And yeah. then you don't feel so alone because I feel like this is very isolating. It can be. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was my first motivation was to not feel alone myself. And then that slowly morphed into helping other people not feel alone because yeah, it's one of the most like destructive, um, things that can happen is being isolated. You know, abusers tend to intentionally isolate their victims for a reason. And then unfortunately, kind of the world we live in doesn't really support a lot of connection for trauma survivors. So I've kind of taken it upon myself and I'm absolutely not the only one, but it's a big part of my mission to kind of go against that and be like, Mm -hmm. guess what? You're not alone. And here's like community and resources to support your healing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
And I also commend you for even speaking up and like sharing your story publicly because that's really hard to begin with. But there's also like the stigma of like, you don't talk about the trauma and things that have happened to you in the past, you know, that have hurt you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what exactly is trauma? You know, I want to make sure we kind of right. lay the foundation for yeah. you know getting everybody on the same page of what it is. And then what are some common yeah. signs that survivors might experience that they, they're not even realizing our trauma, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So trauma has a lot of different definitions, um, but essentially trauma is the result of an experience or many multiple chronic experiences where we have a sense of threat that is beyond our ability to cope with because we don't have the resources or the support, or it's just way too overwhelming for our bodies to kind of integrate and cope with. And so, you know, there's situations that two people could experience and one person goes on to develop trauma and the other person doesn't. And that might be because one person doesn't have social support the other person does mm-hmm. or um what for one person it was like the straw that broke the camel's back and for the other person their life is generally very safe and okay and this was like a one incident that they were able to you know heal from and so a lot of the people i work with or and i see a lot of um orient more towards having complex trauma and what that that, that comes from more chronic long-term situations such as developmental trauma so stuff that happens in your childhood Um, perhaps abuse, emotional abuse, emotional neglect, physical neglect, bullying, um, religious abuse, medical trauma, like there's a whole list that we don't really need to go into. Um, But another definition I really like is trauma is the result of our needs going chronically unmet. And so that can include so many things because when we think of needs, you think about, we all have a need for physical safety. Mm -hmm. So if your need for physical safety goes unmet one time, you might develop PTSD. Like for example, I got in a really bad car accident when I was 16. I actually didn't really get PTSD from that, but I could have, right? And that would have been more of a general PTSD that's like maybe I'd be terrified of driving and have nightmares about it. But then with complex PTSD is those needs are being unmet kind of over and over and over. So in my abusive relationship, you know, every single person on earth has a need to feel um, safe emotionally, that they can be themselves and the people that say they love them are going to treat them with care and respect generally. Mm -hmm. No one's ever perfect, but it's like a general pattern that people are kind, respectful, you know, connecting. Um, And so if you're in a relationship or with a family and you are constantly getting this message that you need to censor who you are, change who you are, be better, or they're going to hurt you, or they're going to leave you, or they're going to, something bad is going to happen to you. If that happens over and over and over again, it can develop into more of a complex trauma experience. Mm. And so some of the symptoms you might notice with both PTSD and complex PTSD, or just complex trauma, um, would be things like re-experiencing. So nightmares, flashbacks, vivid, intrusive memories. You might also have a hard time with emotional dysregulation. So feeling like maybe your emotional responses to things are dramatic, quote unquote, or just (laughs) like out of alignment with what the actual situation 
situation is. Mm-hmm. You might also notice hypervigilance where you feel like you're, you know, kind of paranoid or always like looking for a threat to arise and you're never really safe. Mm-hmm. And you also might try to avoid things that trigger you. But then with complex trauma, there's this added element of it can impact your belief systems. It can impact how you view yourself, what you believe about relationships, like all these elements of personality because this experience happened over and over and over and kind of shaped the way you see the world and yourself. So it can add this whole other element that regular PTSD might not touch at all. Like with regular PTSD, you might be like, yeah, like I know I'm like a good person. I'm just terrified of driving, Mm -hmm. for example. With the complex PTSD, it can be more like there's something wrong with me. Like I'm inherently bad or, you know, some of those beliefs that long-term traumatic experiences can teach us. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even realize until recently that there were two different types of PTSD. You know, everyone, you hear PTSD, like that umbrella term, I guess is the main one, but the complex aspect of it, that's really interesting. I know that, you know, dealing with abuse and trauma can definitely impact your self-worth and like your beliefs, but I didn't realize that that can be considered PTSD or complex PTSD. Right. Right. And I mean, I think it's important to name that, like, first of all, I can't diagnose anyone, period, but especially Mm -hmm. through a podcast and like relating to some of the stuff I'm saying doesn't mean that you necessarily qualify for a diagnosis, nor does doing this kind of healing work mean that you have to have one of those diagnoses. So for example, I've done so much healing that now I don't really have any of those PTSD symptoms generally. Like sure, I get triggered once in a while, but Mm -hmm. like most days I feel generally safe, able to regulate my emotions like a healthy person Mm -hmm. but some of the stuff that I'm working on now is like basically like getting in touch with grief and sadness because I've had a wall up for so long where it's like it's not safe to feel sad or else like that's just so connected to my trauma so it's like that's just kind of like the nuance with that where it's Mm -hmm. like I'm a fully functioning person I probably wouldn't qualify for a diagnosis at this point but there's absolutely still things about my trauma that are impacting me today Um, so yeah it's just like you know I I don't really believe in like gatekeeping trauma and it Mm -hmm. seems like if people relate to it then maybe they want to engage with some healing resources um, without necessarily being like mentally ill quote unquote yeah yeah that's a good point and again there's that stigma too you know people might avoid this topic or even looking into it Mm -hmm. or feeling like they should you know go to therapy or whatever because they don't want to be deemed mentally ill or whatever so yeah totally good point right and that's really sad Mm -hmm. yeah there's like so many reasons why that's problematic but yeah I feel like kind of normalizing that trauma exists for so many people is really Mm -hmm. helpful because yeah yeah, then maybe it's less overwhelming to just even accept like oh okay like I know for a lot of people like getting into a new relationship can be like all of a sudden you start noticing all these things things where you're like, whoa, that actually has to do with my relationship from three years ago, not this person I'm dating. And does that mean you have PTSD? No. But you know, that's kind of like what trauma informed education and support looks like is Mm -hmm. understanding like, oh, in the past, this thing happened. And so that's why it's showing up today. Yeah, um, and kind of working with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So what are some of the coping mechanisms that you've seen people use to deal with trauma. I know you have that quiz on your site about the different masks people wear. I actually took oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I got overachiever, oh, nice. which I honestly was not surprised nice. about. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Nice. Sounds about right. 
Yeah. Word. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and just kind of touch on those since that's um, yeah. yeah, a good way to look at it. So yeah, you're referencing this quiz that I have, which basically there's, I present like five different, I'm calling masks, but you could also call coping strategies or personality traits that um, folks who have experienced trauma might develop to try to cope with their experiences. So with the overachiever, you might notice yourself like pushing yourself super, super hard, like always wanting to be the best, having really high expectations for yourself um, and staying really busy. And all of that can be a way of trying to prove that you are good enough if something in the past made you feel like you weren't unless you were the best. Mm -hmm. Similar to that, I think, is the perfectionist with some differences where a perfectionist might be focused more on everything being like absolutely flawless or like by the book, by the rules versus an overachiever is more focusing on being the best or, you know, earning external achievements. Um, but very similar, kind of this really intense pressure on yourself to be better than any human being could possibly be. You think that you're the exception and you need to never make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And maybe when those mistakes happen, you're really, really hard on yourself. All of this could have to do with like something in the past that taught you perfection is the only option. Or maybe you were praised for being perfect um, or being an overachiever. Then there's the one that was the most common result so far, which is the people pleaser. And so a ton of people relate to this. And there's mm -hmm. also overlap. Like I relate to all of these things I'm talking about at different times in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but with the people pleaser, you probably learned at some point that in order to stay safe or to belong or to, you know, get through life as best as possible, you need to make sure other people are happy with you or other people are happy in general. So you kind of live your life with this perspective of I need to ensure that the person that I'm, you know, with in some capacity is happy with me. So how can I do that? Probably by shifting my needs, sacrificing my boundaries, like just contorting myself into whoever they want me to be. And so that can definitely keep you safe, but at, you know, a high cost, once again, of compromising mm -hmm. your own sense of safety sometimes or your own just well-being in order to try to make someone else happy. Um, and then another one I call the peacemaker. So this is someone who maybe thinks that having needs is a burden that they don't want to put on others and just tries to, you know, kind of go through life making as little ripples as possible. Um, they might have learned in the past that their opinion wasn't welcome, that they shouldn't speak up, that they need to, you know, kind of keep it small and quiet in order to stay safe. Mm -hmm. um, so they are probably the person that always says, you know, I don't care, like whatever, it's up to you, you know, but deep yeah. inside might be neglecting parts of themselves that really want to speak their truth. Mm -hmm. And then the final one I talk about is hyper-independence, which can go along with a lot of these, but someone who's hyper-independent might have a really hard time ever relying on anyone else for anything. So maybe in the past they learned that relying on other people would only lead to pain or neglect or abandonment. Um, and so they responded to that by saying, you know, I only need myself. I'm not going to trust anyone else. I'm just going to take care of me. Um, and this can absolutely keep someone safe, but at the cost of, you know, experiencing real authentic connection with others. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those are some of the ways that trauma, I think, can impact our personality or how people, you know, shift and mold their personality to cope with um, experiences mm -hmm. that were traumatic. 
Um, yeah. 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 That was really interesting. And you're right. You can definitely relate to multiple of those. I feel like at different times. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I know you mentioned that you've been on your healing journey for the past seven years. So what are some common misconceptions or expectations people have about healing and like what that's supposed to look like? That's a great question. Yeah. So I think the biggest kind of misconception is like, what I kind of said earlier was basically like, you should be able to just get over something or that Mm -hmm. time heals everything. And so I think when something is painful, but not traumatic time, absolutely heals things. Like I've had breakups in my past that were really devastating to me, but there wasn't any trauma involved. It was just painful Mm -hmm. and time took that away, you know, as well as with, you know, support and stuff. But eventually there came a day where I was like, wow, this isn't like super painful to me anymore. Like I've accepted it. Yeah. But with trauma, there is changes to our nervous systems, to our brains. Like you can read about all that research. It's really fascinating, but it's time doesn't just make things better. And so anyone that's been traumatized can attest to this. And a lot of times we feel really frustrated and ashamed of ourselves because we can't just get over it. But that's not really possible. It's not a choice. If it was a choice, everyone would make it, you know, immediately. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think just like that informs my really strong belief in self-acceptance and self-compassion and also having compassion for other people, of course. But when you're the one that's experiencing this, being gentle with yourself and giving yourself a lot of time and patience. Um, So yeah, I think that's a big misconception about trauma. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's a big one. And, you know, it's external. You know, other people say, you should be over this by now. Like, why are you still... Yeah thinking about this, but I feel like we can also do it to ourselves. It's like, okay, well, I should be over this. It happened months ago or years ago. Why am I still like so hung up on this? So yeah, I feel like exactly. You can kind of get down on yourself too, which yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, I feel like that's like the biggest one that really encompasses a lot. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what's coming to me for now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So can you explain the difference between triggers and like red flags Yeah. So there's like a tremendous amount of overlap with these, but as far as like defining the words, red flag would be something that you see in a relationship with another human that cues you into the fact that it's not a safe relationship to be in, or maybe it's just not what you're wanting. I feel like, you know, there's kind of different definitions. Like a red flag is like, whoa, watch out. This is not safe. Or it might just mean like, like maybe a beige flag or a yellow flag or something Mm -hmm. is more like, I'm not so sure about that. Like if that's going to work for me, it doesn't mean this person's bad, but like, that's just not my thing. Right. So I'm just going to go ahead and speak to the safety aspect. Mm -hmm. So a red flag would something, something that signals to you, this person isn't trustworthy or not safe. And then a trigger is something that happens when something that you're experiencing reminds you of a past situation in which you were harmed or really terrified or developed trauma from. And so what happens with these things is when you get into a relationship or when you're in one in general, um, but especially I think at the beginning, you might be looking out for red flags, you know, learning more information about this person, trying to get to know them better. And with trauma, it's really easy to sometimes ignore red flags because you're essentially used to chaos, fear, pain, you know, 
dysfunction Mm -hmm. that becomes normal if that's been a part of your history. And so you might go into a relationship and just miss all of the red flags because you're like, yeah, this is, this is normal. This is what relationships are like. So that definitely happened to me in that second relationship I was talking about where I was just like, I'm, I'm used to being anxious and upset. I'm just going to ignore all those things and focus on like the giddiness of like getting into something new and like having someone choose me and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a a red flag should be not necessarily triggering, but like, you know, an alarm bell or Mm -hmm. something. But a lot of times we miss that, like I said, because we're used to it. And then with triggers, when you are in a relationship with another human and you're someone that has trauma, it's highly likely that they are eventually going to trigger you at some point, even if it's like the smell of their deodorant or um, how long they take to respond to a text or something totally benign. Mm -hmm. But it's something that, you know, can set off this feeling of like, I'm not safe or something's wrong or, you know, it can lead to like, what's wrong with me? It can lead to what's wrong with them, but just sort of like some story starts getting told because our body is remembering something from the past. Mm. And so sometimes a red flag is triggering. Sometimes it's not, but I just think those things are something it's important to build like discernment about and understanding about, because if you get into a new relationship and someone is really wonderful, but they accidentally trigger you, you know, and it's, it's like I said, something that's not real quote unquote it's not Mm -hmm. actually a red flag and then you run away or leave the relationship or just start hating yourself for it that can be really destructive if you have the goal to connect to other humans or you Mm -hmm. know maintain a healthy relationship yeah so that's why i think those topics are important Mm -hmm. yeah for sure so red flags are to alert you the triggers aren't necessarily someone else's fault you know like Right. Yeah. If someone triggers you because they're treating you poorly, right. that's yeah. appropriate. <laughs> like you should be yeah. triggered by that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully then it, then it comes down to, okay, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to, you know, have a conversation with them? Are you going to walk away? Or are you going to ignore how you're feeling and people please or whatever? And so that's what we want to avoid yeah. to keep you safe and mm-hmm. like aligned with what feels healthy and right for you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I know you talk a lot about breaking the cycle of trauma. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. So what I am referring to when I talk about breaking the cycle is the cycle of trauma being kind of a set of patterns, beliefs, behaviors that originate from something traumatic that you went through. So a cycle that I was on, like I mentioned earlier, is choosing partners who are really emotionally unavailable or even, you know, toxic or harmful because I just really wanted to be chosen. And I also didn't understand that I deserved better. Um, So that was kind of a cycle that trauma got me on and then Mm -hmm. breaking that is ultimately deciding to stop it (laughs) you know so it's not just stopping it like on a behavioral level but like deciding you know I it's a lot of inner work of like I deserve something better than this something better than this is even possible kind of it feels like a quest to me where you're going out and you're saying you know there's so much unknown here but I have the intention I want to break the cycle I want something better for me what do I need to support myself with that process Mm -hmm. um but yeah 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 that makes sense and I'm learning that trauma a lot of it is generational like it just gets passed down and passed down because it's like oh well Especially right. with abusers, you hear this a lot, like, was his father abusive? Did he experience it in his right. family? And it's like, okay, well, there's, like, this history of abuse that's been passed down, and they're just kind of used to it at this point, you know? So 
Right. I think it's so important. Totally. To That's a great point. That. Yeah. Right. Breaking the cycle can be breaking a legacy of trauma that was passed down to you through your family mm-hmm. um, or through a group you're in or something like that. And choosing to kind of walk away from that is like a really powerful and radical act mm-hmm. and very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when starting your healing journey, say you leave an abusive relationship like this, what does that look like? What's the first step? Like, where can people begin? Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think the most important thing to do is get yourself support. So that can be, you know, resources like that you find online, books, podcasts, certainly therapy is a really great thing, but I know not everyone can access that or wants to. Um, finding support with people you trust like I have like, you know, lots of groups and stuff. If that's more your approach rather than reaching out to friends, like if that's less comfortable, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, getting supported, perhaps, you know, definitely s- taking the time to process what you went through. So this is once again, where, you know, therapy comes in really well, but there's certainly other ways to process depending on what you like, what resonates with you. You know, some people are, can be really express themselves with creativity. Other people, it's more like movement, uh, some form of expression. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like there's so many different ways this process can go, but ultimately I think giving yourself time to, you know, rest, recuperate, heal, filling up your cup with things that bring you joy and remind you of your inherent worth as a human being, or um, also things that allow you to feel safe. So creating the conditions for safety in your life that you probably haven't had if you've been in an abusive relationship. Um, Yeah, focusing a lot on safety, I think, is super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess for any family and friends that are listening to this episode, how can they support survivors, you know, without re-traumatizing them or making them feel judged? I know that when I left, like, people Mm -hmm. wanted to help me. And I think they just didn't know what to say or what to do. So, yeah. Do you have any advice for them? Totally. Yeah. I feel like the number one best thing to do is kind of ask someone what they're wanting. Mm -hmm. So instead of assuming you need to fix someone's problems or make them feel better or like, you know, expecting them to tell you the whole story or something like that, saying something like, you know, I know you just got through something really, really hard and scary. Like I... I'm here for you. Would you, do you want to talk about it? If so, I'm a listening ear. Um, if you want my perspective or advice, let me know. Um, otherwise I'll just kind of hold space for you and be there to help you as much as I can. Um, and then, you know, if, if there's someone that doesn't want to talk about it, like seeing like, do you want to do something that feels fun? Do you want to do something that feels really cozy? Like, you know, how can I best show up for you? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think just making yourself available without putting pressure on someone to, like, have to tell you about it, I guess, is really great. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and just listening when they do want to share something. Yeah, yeah, I think that's huge. I did not want to talk about it (laughs) at the beginning. It's like, it was so difficult, you know, I don't even know the words to describe it. And yeah, you're kind of reliving that trauma when you share the stories of what happened before. Um, So yeah, I appreciated the people that just like, let me talk whenever I was comfortable. And sometimes I ended up sharing probably way more than, you know, they even thought I would just because they gave me that space to just speak freely, you know, as I was comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So that was awesome. Yeah. And then community too. That is so important. You know, looking for support groups. Yeah. 
I actually knew, you know, sadly, this is very common. So I knew some other people that had been in a similar situation and kind of reached out to them to say, you know, what helped you like (laughs) point me in the right direction, what the resources, the information, you know, um, I need to know, you know, everything. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's why I'm like very grateful for the, honestly, like the online presence of this stuff. Like you can type in, you know, abusive relationship healing on Instagram or whatever. And like so many resources will come up Mm -hmm. and it's like just reading social media posts isn't, you know, gonna lead to healing by itself, but it's a great place to go for just feeling like there are resources. I'm not helpless. I'm not hopeless. Like Mm -hmm. there is other people out there that I've been through this. Um, yeah. Right. So I, yeah. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Won't feel so alone. Right. Yeah. So I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but, you know, abuse can impact people's sense of self-worth. So how can survivors go about rebuilding their self-esteem? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think number one is being in relationships of all kinds that mirror back your inherent worth and value and res- like and respect you um, as a human being. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we we heal best through kind of experiences. And so being in the room or being in the relationship of any kind, sometimes it's professional relationships. Sometimes it's with your family, your friends, like it's going to be different for everyone. Um, But finding people that just naturally show to you that you are worthy of respect and care can be completely life changing and and saving ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's one thing for building that self-esteem up is getting that direct experience. Some other things would be finding resources that speak to you, uh, whether that's like spirituality type books, different kinds of self-help books, um, finding hobbies or interests that make you feel good about yourself that make you feel joyful or relaxed or bring you pleasure. Um, you know, just finding things that you like to do and indulging in those or not just indulging, practicing those with a Mm -hmm. lot of, um, intention of like, I am allowed to do nice things for myself. I'm allowed to feel good. I'm allowed to take care of myself. I'm allowed to receive care. Um, yeah, all of those are really great ways of kind of rebuilding something that was destruct, uh, destroyed in mm-hmm. a traumatic relationship, perhaps. Yeah. I know a lot of people can relate to this too, of, you know, when you're in abusive relationships, sometimes you just completely lose yourself and you stop doing the things that you loved before because maybe they're keeping you away from that activity or, you know, they make fun of you every time you talk about something that you like or whatever, for whatever reason. And so getting back to that really, really helps, especially for me. I know (laughs) speaking for myself, like getting back to the things that I loved, it was just like, okay, I feel so much better now. It's kind of crazy how absolutely that shift can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like so important to um, reclaim things that were kind of stolen away from you, whether it's because they were directly forcing you to stop or belittling you for doing something, or you just didn't have time anymore because you were so busy trying to survive that, Mm -hmm. you you know, what's a hobby when you're trying to make someone not hurt you every day? It's like, it doesn't matter anymore because you're so focused on survival. So getting out of that and being like, wow, I'm allowed to actually prioritize the things I care about again is like, yeah, really amazing Mm -hmm. and healing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so true. So let's talk a little bit about 
love and relationships after leaving an abusive partner. So first, how do you know when you've healed enough to move on and start dating again? I feel like I hear this a lot of like (sighs) either, oh my gosh, they moved so, they moved on so fast or like, I feel like I'm never going to date again because I don't want to be traumatized by another person. Right. Yeah. It's so easy to go to one extreme or the other. Mm -hmm. So for full transparency, I, I've been like a serial monogamous, you could say, where every time a relationship ended, I was in a new one after like two weeks, um, which, you know, looking back now is <laughs> wild. Um, but at the time I had a right, very, very judge, yeah. anxious attachment style. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I just needed someone to make me feel complete. So I was kind of always on the like prowl and that's how I ended up in such shitty relationships because I just kind of accepted anything that would come my way. And mm-hmm. so I've now been in a relationship for seven years that is very healthy and I hope that's obvious. And um, (laughs) I met him, you know, pretty, it had been six months since my last like toxic relationship. So that's a good thing to note. Mm -hmm. Um, And not even six months, like five, I don't know. Um, But looking back, like, I feel like it's less about having like a hard rule when it comes to this. And it's Mm -hmm. more about working with what you've got. So if I was talking to someone who had just left an abusive relationship, you know, I would certainly not recommend they go get in a new one in two weeks. But if that's what happens, I would rather not, you know, judge that or say that's wrong. And I'd rather help support them see, is this new relationship going to work? And mm-hmm. is it going to, am I going to, are you going to be able to do the healing work you need to do while you're also dating? And so I think it's a good thing to look at kind of your energetic capacity and your just like predisposition as a human is like, do you have the energetic time and capacity and like, you know, heart space even for a new relationship or not? Like, do you need to focus on yourself or maybe your friendships or other sources of love and connection in your life for now? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if I could go back, I would have definitely given myself more time, but it didn't happen that way. And like, I managed to do like all of my therapeutic work during an, a relationship. And that yeah. happened because we just had really good boundaries. We, you know, I had a lot of time for myself. I retained a lot of independence. Um, so ultimately it all worked out the way it was meant to be. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's different for everyone yeah I think my friends are surprised because I was like yeah I'm interested in dating again and they're like whoa already Mm -hmm. like I don't think anyone wanted to talk about it (laughs) it's just like don't bring it up around here yet but I'm like you guys don't realize like yeah I left you know a few months ago but at the same time I was being abused the entire time like I checked out a relationship a long time ago yeah like Right. My heart was not in exactly. there. So it was way Exactly. It's very different on. than when you, yeah, when you need, like, there's a, I think there's a different thing than if you're leaving an abusive relationship and then if you're just like left or you have right. to leave a relationship that was healthy, but they broke your heart or something. Like mm-hmm. getting over that heartbreak is a different process than processing abuse trauma um like they're both yeah you know real but it's mm-hmm. like when people think of like how are you just moving on so quick it's like I moved on like years ago like I've been yeah. over this I've just been trying to survive you know mm-hmm. I never I didn't feel love for him for a long time like yeah. you know so yeah, yeah I agree so and you can answer this or not <laughs> let me know if you feel comfortable yeah. but how soon did you share like your past experiences with your yeah. new partner Yeah, I'm totally an open book. So I think the first time it came up was probably about four months into the relationship where um, 
I was like having a rough night or feeling like triggered by something and I, it just kind of came out, um, mm-hmm. in a very messy way, you know, where I was just like, it wasn't like a regulated conversation. Like I was definitely crying and whatever. Um, but I didn't give him all the details nearly, you know, I just told him something about it and, mm-hmm. you know, he was very kind and compassionate and that was lovely. It was still really, you know, a lot of vulnerability hangover with that or just feeling yeah. like, like, what did I just do? But, Mm -hmm. you know, all was well. Um, And then I didn't end up telling him kind of the full story for like, at least a year and a half into our relationship, which looking back, if I started dating someone next week, I mean, now it's my job. So I'd probably tell them like on the first date, like in a very like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. this is just a fact about me and my life. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was so tender and so triggering to even talk about that I had to keep it close for a long time. But like he knew I was in therapy. He knew I was focusing on my healing. Like I'd almost talk about healing pretty often, but he didn't actually know what happened Mm -hmm. in full detail. Like he knew I had an abusive relationship, but I didn't tell Mm -hmm. him what it was like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how it happened for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's something that a lot of people worry about, you know, when thinking about their next sure. partner, you know, what are they going to think? When do I need to tell them? And opening up is kind of hard, yeah. you know, at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. And you like, don't really, you don't owe anyone your story. Like there's no reason you have to tell someone, like, I think it should totally come down to like your empowered choice and maybe like, you know, what's best for the relationship. Um, so it's yeah, different for everyone, but like, there's no reason you have to like, okay, in three months I need to like tell him my whole history. It's like, Mm -hmm. why? Like, you know, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Yeah. That's a good point. So how can we avoid self-sabotaging our next relationship that turns out to be healthy (laughs) you know if you want to have a thriving healthy relationship what yeah what does that look like yeah it's a great question so I think kind of just getting acquainted with your trauma responses and how they show up in your relationship so getting to understand like when you're triggered or upset or feeling uh, scared, do you lash out and try to pick a fight or, you know, you're more of that fighter. Do you kind of run away and you're like, just get me out of here and kind of like avoid all conflict and just try to like escape. Are you more of a fawn type where you're just going to like start apologizing and crying or like trying to make them happy. And they're like, what? Like I was trying to just have a conversation, you know, (laughs) that was me. Um, and then are you more of like a freeze where you kind of like everything tenses up and you start dissociating and you aren't really present anymore. Mm -hmm. And you might be all of those or just some, but just starting to get familiar with how trauma shows up in your relationship, like how it's impacting it. And then doing some work around, you know, what can I do to help regulate myself in those moments? How can I communicate what's going on with me? What are the boundaries I need to feel safe enough in this relationship that is healthy? And I know that, but it's hard for me for some reason. And so do I need more space? Do I need more connection? How can I ask for those things? Um, yeah. So those are just some examples, but kind mm-hmm. of like being really prepared and honest about your experience just within yourself and then sort of navigating the relationship with like that trauma informed lens instead of just pretending to be fine if you're not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so important. Some people, I think they need that, um, encouragement to go ahead and pursue a relationship, you know, without feeling that pressure of like, what if something bad happens or what if I 
make something bad happen, you know, like you feel a little concerned about that. So yeah, that's a good point. Sure. Yeah. So is there anything else related to the topic of healing after an abusive relationship that we should mention? I guess what I would just say is just like a reminder that, you know, healing is absolutely possible and like your emotions matter, whether it's grief or anger or disgust or fear, like all of that matters and you are not wrong for feeling the way you do. Um, And all those things can point you towards where you need more attention, care, healing, support. So just know that there's people out there that, you know, are here for you and want to support you. And um, yeah, you deserve healthy relationships and you Mm -hmm. deserve to feel safe in your body and all those good things. Yeah. Yeah. This is so helpful. And it's also helpful to see someone on the other side of it. You know, you've had that experience, you've been through healing, you're still healing and that's totally fine. And, you know. It just makes it, you're normalizing it for everybody else, which I definitely appreciate. Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So do you want to tell everyone about your course? Yeah. So yeah, if you're feeling especially like you're struggling with relationships after trauma, um, I have a course out right now that I've been offering for the past three years called Blooming Relationships. And it's all about kind of all these things we've been talking about. So how to create and sustain healthy relationships when you've gone through something traumatic in the past. Um, and you're noticing yourself having a hard time with things like trust, boundaries, communication, red flags, triggers, attachment styles, all that stuff. So um, yeah, it's open for enrollment until the end of September. Um, but if people are listening to this later and you're interested, you can probably just email me and we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. And then, um, do you want to go ahead and let people know where they can connect with you? Yeah. So on social media, I'm at blooming with Emmy on TikTok and Instagram. And, um, my website is emmymarie.com and I have a lot of like free resources. You can take that quiz we mentioned and find like my courses and my community and one-to-one coaching as well. Perfect. Thanks for tuning in to the first hustled in brunch podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, I'd love if you subscribed and left us a review. Another way to support the podcast is to take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story. Tag me at First Hustle Then Brunch so I can repost it. Thank you so much for supporting the show, and I'll see you in the next episode.